Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MB. Murder in the Black. I am your host, Steph. And I'm MD. Welcome. Hey, this friend. is like a semi-live. Yeah, semi not really. <laughs> it's not. And, you know, it is because our children, children's lives, like, really run our lives a lot of the time. All the time. <laughs> Especially on Saturday. Uh, so, the girls, both of our girls, are the same age, and they play softball together, and their schedules have just completely changed all day. It's moved. It's a tournament, softball tournament. And the it was raining yesterday, so that messed everything up. And then today they were waiting on the fields to dry. And so they started with one time and then ended with another time. And so here we are. And we weren't able to go live. But we're giving you a little bit of something. Yeah, because this is our this will serve as our, our first YouTube video yeah, as well. And we're gonna get that thing rolling in season yes. four. Yes, yes, yes. So MD, um, we will be taking a break yes. after this. And we will be coming back in May. So well, we will maybe end of April. Maybe end of April, but just to be determined. We're okay. going to release the date that we're coming back. We'll Absolutely. make sure you guys know. But we're we're taking this time to really just uh, make sure that we are together and really creating a great theme for season four. Yes. And so excited about what's to come. We have some really good things and ideas in, in store. And we want to make sure that it comes across as seamless as possible. We've really grown in season three. Yes. And we're so excited to all of you. So thank you for you know, joining us and and coming along this journey. Yes, it's been amazing. It has. It has been amazing. So, MD, what should we be doing? We need to grab our coffee if it's the morning, grab your wine if it's the evening, but either way, let's get into this great story. Yes, grab your water too. Well, I'm drinking (laughs) water. I I am. I need all the water. We all need water. (laughs) So, our case today, we don't have, you know what? In the hustle and bustle, we did not name this particular true crime story. I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, no, because, <laughs> I, you know, this is the case of Sam Little. Yes. And he is one of the most infamous serial killers of our of our time. Oh, yeah. Of all time. Of I mean, all in, time. in United States. We can't infamy. speak for That's what we're calling this, infamy. I like it. Hey, it's simple. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, before we jump into this, and it was going to come out in this conversation. We were just talking to our dad about it. Yeah. And that is that, like, you know, growing up, in my mind, serial killers were not black. At all. <laughs> I think that's a part of our culture, at least here for African Americans. We always say, well, we know they're not black. Right. Like, you know, if there's somebody talking about the serial killer, I feel like I've been proven wrong on this twice. So, this with this one. We're going to kill family, that. We're going to kill this because it's obviously <laughs> not true. But remember when when there was the Washington sniper? Oh, and they gosh. weren't sure who it was. I just knew. I mean, I remember me and my friends just saying. With passion and conviction. Right, it ain't a black guy. Who was it? A black guy. <laughs> 
We're going to have to eat crow on that hey, one. We ate a whole lot of it. Like, yeah. So, Infamy. That's the name of our case. Infamy. Steph, tell us a little bit about Sam Little. Okay, so Sam Little was born in 1940 in Lorain, Ohio. Boo, his his. Why, MD? Why am because I saying that? We are Michiganders, yeah. okay? And what is a Buckeye? But <laughs> anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> okay, so he was born in 1940. Um, he was born to a single mother. Now, it's important that we know that his name, Little, was actually his father's name. So he received his father's surname. Um, he and his mother. His father and his mother were not married. Okay. But his mother's maiden name was McDowell, and that's important. It is. As we get through this conversation, she was unable to take care of him. Um, she just was riddled with a lot of problems herself, a lot of issues. Um, she dabbled in some prostitution, just trying allegedly. to make it. Yeah. And I say allegedly just because we know this from Sam Little. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much we can take what he says. This is this this is true. But he does say that she was into prostitution so mm-hmm. much so that what happened? So it, he actually got out of her care. Like he kind of went back and forth with other family members, um foster homes and um he lived with her for a short amount of time. He went back to live with her at 13. And when he did, she, you know, he stayed with her until 1973. So he was in high school, in and out of high school. He had some behavior issues. There Mm -hmm. were definitely some red flags there. But he pretty much just stayed with his mom until 1973. And then right after high school or, you know, shortly after high school, he left Ohio. So tell us a little bit about what happened after that. When he left Ohio to mm-hmm. go live with his grandmother. And um, he, you know, his grandmother raised him at that point. And she, you know, but he just had problems immediately. Like, and his upbringing was not one that produced. Right. It's maybe. almost like, would you say with with kids or children who go into the foster system have a lot of issues, do you say they're pretty much not going to be no good? No, I don't don't think I say that. I think that that you you choose, ultimately, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. We all have choices. But I do say that their lives are set up really where it's harder for them to make better choices. Better choices, absolutely. Uh, So... But he, he, you know, definitely struggled. And he Mm -hmm. immediately got into a life of crime. And and what we'll see toward the, towards the end of the story is that he had a rap sheet that was just so lengthy, long, so long. As long but as he, my arm. you know, he got into a life of crime early, and that resulted in him getting arrested at, in 1956 at the mm-hmm. age of 16. Mm. So he was convicted of burglary and served some time, but in juvenile, right? So because right, he he's go, still a teen, he was still a teenager. So he didn't go to like jail, jail. He went to juvenile. Uh, so instead of him being rehabilitated and taking up to, to you know go make better choices, sure. he ended up you know coming back up and picking up on this professional life of crime that he had already started. Mm. And he was kind of a drifter, right? He worked in a, a cemetery. Yeah. Okay, he had worked in a cemetery, which that's always you know, odd to me. I've always thought that's such a like 
difficult job to have, right? Like to work in a cemetery. Yeah. You've got to be, you know, but the, I heard they make really good money. No way. Yeah. <laughs> Which That's makes good. sense to me. Like that makes sense that they make good money because who Cause wants Because most people job? doesn't want to do it. Who wants it? Yeah, it's just like the um, the medical examiners, they make good money. Right, because nobody wants that job. I don't. You know, but somebody has to do it. Somebody has to do it. But he did. He worked in the cemetery, but he was a drifter, and he kind of, you know, was one state to the next, and mm-hmm. this also is important. But during that time, he was, like, committing one crime after another after another. He just kind of created this persona, this lifestyle okay. of being arrested several times, getting back and doing more crime. I mean, they weren't, like, big Crimes. I hate to say that. Would you say petty? They're like petty crimes, mm-hmm. like shoplifting, and mm-hmm. you know, just you know, that, like minor stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the police were. You know, it's hard. The but here's what's really strange about this, is that he never really went to jail for any. Like he was never convicted. Yeah, he just kind of got it slaps on the wrist. I mean, but like. You almost want to say, like, what happened to in the system that nobody said, okay, you, here you are for the 25th time. Mm-hmm. We're going to go ahead and, like... Do you think... And I don't... I mean, I don't... We're close in age, so I don't know how much you know about it. But during that time, like, they, we don't have access to... Compu- you know, in the 50s, they didn't have access to computers. Like, you know, getting records passed along from state to state that travels you throughout, maybe maybe that was some of the issue. Absolutely. Like, I think, you know, now we have systems that speak to one another, states that you can type a person's name in, and whether they were convicted in California and or Texas and you're in Ohio, like, they'd be able to see your record. They'll be able to see what you did if you were arrested, convicted. Mm-hmm. But, of course, back in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and even the 90s, those things were not commonplace. Right. I think, really, those systems didn't really start to, to happen until the late 90s, and then they weren't really commonplace until the early 2000s. Yeah. Stuff I mean, we take for granted now. A lot of stuff that we take for granted. And so he really, you know, what I really find very interesting with this case about Sam Little... And I know I'm kind of jumping the gun just a little bit because we're going to get back to who he was. But is that if he had done this crime, like if he was doing this in this day and age, oh. he wouldn't have gotten away with it as long as he did. Yes. I think a lot of these serial killers from, you know, the earlier ages that like were able to get away so long to keep, you know, to not be discovered for so long. Mm-hmm. I think it's because. Be- because of that, because the technology wasn't what it allowed used to it, act. yeah, yeah. yeah. Just you know, now you have a ring camera on every on door. every door. So you know, thank God for that. Yeah. So he had been arrested, as we already said, throughout um, his throughout his life. Mm-hmm. Just being honest, um, and he had been across the country by his mid thirties, um, and so it it just just it was it was bad. It was bad. He just was, I mean, he, and we talk about choices. Um, He just made the decision that this was going to be his life. Right. And um, he. He didn't want anything different, so. No. He he wanted to be a bad boy. Okay. So the first time he actually went to prison was at the age of 21. 
So he had went to juvenile, but we really can't count that. Nobody's counting it. That's not prison. Yeah. And I mean, even the fact that they said, like, you know, he didn't come out rehabilitated. Well, I mean, okay. Right. (laughs) So he went to prison um, in 1961, gets out. He's sentenced to three years. He gets out, and it was released in 1964. Um, but then he just started back up again. It was right. like this revolving door of these petty crimes. Mm-hmm. But go to prison, doesn't learn anything, comes back out, starts the Re-offense. starts it all over again. And honestly, that's not uncommon. I mean, yeah, that's know, why they say it's a revolving door. Right. And it's because our prison systems are really not set up to rehabilitate the prisoners. I mean, that's what we say we're doing. But are we? Okay, are we really doing that? Yes, yes. But tell us what happened, MD, in Texas. So, I just want to say... Just say it. Texas solved this case, so... (laughs) Okay. But, no, okay, we're Texans, so obviously (laughs) biased. But in 1994, really, this is the case. This crime is what really opened everything up, the Mm -hmm. floodgates, to really be able to ultimately convict or to catch... Sam to Little. catch a killer. To catch a killer. So in 1994, there's this this woman named Denise uh, Brodus, mm-hmm. and she was a, a a loving mother. She had, you know, she had two children, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, she had good parents that loved her. She came from a good family, it's Odessa, Texas. Good stop. And Odessa is like, you know, Odessa is what people who think about Texas. Like, that don't live in Texas, that think every place in Texas looks like, you know... Cowboy hats. Cowboy hats. And I'll never cows. forget somebody asked me on the plane one time. And I was like... I, I was probably <laughs> later teens. Like, so, like, maybe 17, 18 years old. Okay. And flying to Michigan. And I'm sitting next to somebody. And they're like, so, in Texas, like, are y'all, y'all riding on uh, horses to go to school? I was like, what? <laughs> horses to horses. go to school? 1995. We, we live in the sub- suburbs. There's, <laughs> there's no I'm a horse. city girl. We do have some horses and cows on the, the road, but <laughs> we're not riding them. I don't see them every day. <laughs> <laughs> what? But Odessa is, is more, I mean, and Odessa has areas that are not like this either, but mm-hmm. Odessa has a lot of open land and and especially back in the 90s, like mm-hmm. Odessa did look more like the Texas that I think most people think of when they think yeah. of Texas. So Odessa, here's this 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 woman named Denise Brodus, mm-hmm. and she is, you know, a, a mother and a sister and a daughter, and she's loved. She's well, yeah. like her family loves her. They adore her. But she had problems. She did. She struggled with drug addiction. Mm -hmm. I believe it was a heroin addiction. And so she, it wasn't uncommon for Denise to go missing for a couple of weeks. And then she would resurface. Um, It was kind of like she would go missing. She would use, she would prostitute herself to get money to buy drugs. Mm -hmm. And then she would kind of go on a binger, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and then come back. And be and with their family. Be with their family and decide, you know, hey, I'm going to focus on being a mother. And so her family really wasn't concerned when in February she went missing. Mm-hmm. February 1994, she went missing. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, this is common 
for she'll the be days back. To do. She'll be back. But usually she was never missing for more than like a week. Like in eight weeks had gone by at this point. Her family is very concerned. You know, they involve the police and the police are searching for her and they find um, next to a tree, a decomposed body. Mm. And there was a bag, a bag placed over her head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so they're, they're really like, is decomposed, right? So it's severely, severely mm-hmm. decomposed. And so luckily this wasn't the Texas heat. So, you know, we don't have that factor because mm-hmm. this is in February, mm-hmm. but they have her, her family come down, her mother, I believe it was her mother, her brother mm-hmm. came down to ID the body and lo and behold, it's Denise. It's Denise. And of course, you know, they they are devastated. But they, you know, tell their, the police that she was involved in drugs. They, mm-hmm. they you know, because they, they're trying to figure out how can we get this, this murder solved. And so they tell the police about it. And the police go and talk to her, like, the women that she, where the area that she. Right, where was, she was prostituting. Where she was prostituting. Mm-hmm. And they talk to some of those women to say. Do you, do you guys remember her seeing her? When's the last time that you saw her? You know mm-hmm. they're doing the normal investigating mm-hmm. thing, and they tell they tell her that yeah, you know last time we saw her, she was with this man that was driving a van, and you know he had became kind of like a regular for her mm-hmm. in the recent recent you know weeks, and that's the last night that we saw her, um, and when we saw her, she was alive, you know, mm-hmm. and so. They tracked down this van, and I don't recall, Steph, do you remember mm-hmm. how they were able to track this van down? Was it because the van was... It was like, it was in the area. Like, really the, the van had not left, like, the town of Odessa. So, they were able to track it down through eyewitness accounts. Like, yeah, I saw that van. I saw that van, and, and they didn't give, like, the details of how they were able to track this van down. Mm-hmm. I did think that that was really odd. I'm like, so they told you it was in a van, and you just... Were you pulling in the van? I mean, because we were in the 90s. I mean, but I guess, right, okay. But if it didn't leave the vicinity and you you put out a bolo on true, it. True, true. So they were able to find this guy, right? This guy comes in. He identifies himself as Samuel McDowell. And, you know, he admits, yeah, I, I was with this woman. I had sex with her. Mm-hmm. But when I left her... You know, I said I had sex with her. She was a prostitute. I had sex with her. And when I left her, she was alive. And they really didn't have anything else. I mean, he even was like, you can search my search van. My, and his van was clean. His, so. And they did search it because they were like, okay, well, we're going to search. Because you can't <laughs> tell the police you can search my van and they're not going to search. Mm-hmm. They're going to search. Do not ever tell the police that they have consent to search anything. Okay? Because that's, don't do that. I don't care if you didn't See do the it. warrant. But yeah, so they search the van. They search the van. They find nothing. And remember, this is not bad. This is not in our day and age where they're able to do an extensive forensic exam of this van. They just are looking to see, Mm -hmm. does it look like anything is in here? Is there any blood? Is there anything that would, you know, point to us in the direction that maybe he did it and he, it wasn't. So they had to release him. So they had to release him and they did. And that was it. And so... Luckily, though, they were able to, you know, kind of put some de- key key details about this alleged rape. The police officer, the investigator that investigated him, he mm-hmm. just kind of got like a, a feeling about this guy that mm-hmm. something's not quite right. And so he made notes and they put some details in a system. Mm-hmm. And time goes on. 
Time goes on. Case grow, grow, grows cold. Case grows cold. 20 years later, something happens. But before we get into what what took place 20 years later, we're going to continue to talk about some of the key details of his life. And the truth is, Samuel Little McDowell went under the radar of police for years. Years. I think a lot of contributing factors were that he was, it was in the 90s, as we've said, in the early 80s, 90s. Um, we just couldn't keep up with all the details. And because he was an, a nomad, he had no true, mm-hmm. you know, resting spot or place. He was able to just fly you know, under the radar. Fly under the radar. And he targeted who? Who did he target? He targeted prostitutes and women that were strung out, strung out on drugs. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that people are not thinking about. Like, you know, the thing about Denise is that she had a system of going missing for a while and then coming back. And that's what, no, that's what kind mm-hmm. of red flagged her family. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes with these, these uh, kind of women... You know, they get involved in prostitution and drugs, and they go missing, and they're homeless. And nobody, it's not that people aren't looking for them, but. I mean, it's easy to dismiss their absence when that has become the routine. Right. So, I mean, it's just so, it reminds me of, um, geez, I am drawing a blank. The, The serial case that we covered in our first season. Yeah, with the guy that was in Ohio. I cannot think of his name. That was yeah. in Ohio and it was he was in the that house, Glasses, right? The yes. house. Yeah. It's gonna come to us, like mm-hmm. right either right when we're ending or Somebody Ohio. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm gonna figure it out. Scare. It's somebody Ohio. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Ohioans. <laughs> what do they call y'all? I said Ohio. Right. I don't even know if that's right. But yes, so, you know, he was able to get away. I just wanted to tell you guys this fact. He was able to get away with murders and rape for over five decades. Five. Five. Mm -hmm. And he, it's not that he didn't get caught sometimes. No, he he Because actually some of his victims, he left some of them alive or didn't know they were alive. He didn't do it intentionally, I should say. But, you know... Because of lack of evidence, lack of cooperation with witnesses, he got a lean sentence or just acquitted, period. And I think that's the most scary situation, you know? Right, right. You just, you're able to commit these crimes, fly under the radar, leaving other people susceptible to your mayhem, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But in 2012 or 2013, uh, LAPD had some cold cases in their unit, and I just want to shout out to investigators and detectives and the police departments around the U.S. that actually do their jobs and take no, it very really. seriously, seriously. You know, it don't, and they don't give up on the cold cases because mm-hmm. I think it's easy, at least for us out here, to be like, oh well, you know, well, it went cold. Yeah, but somebody somewhere is still investigating, right? And um. They they were just you know this this particular detective was just she was assigned to cold cases so that was her job, and there was a cold case um, in L A. Um, it happened with a woman named Audrey Nelson Guadalupe, and it was back in eight eighty nine. So that's a lot. That's a lot of years that went by. <laughs> a whole lot. Of years. And she was found near a dumpster in a vacant garage, um, without just giving 
too much details. She had been raped. Um, her shirt was over her head. <clears throat> and so the database search led them to Sam Little. It led them to, because even though he had not necessarily been arrested for all the rapes and murders he committed, he wasn't there for crime and petty right. theft. And Shopping they started to see... This like, pattern. This pattern of him being in this state and being in this when state. When he's in this state, there's a high incidence of, like, murders going yes. on. Yes. They were able to cre- track this pattern. Right. So they then went and looked at his long rap sheet. And it was long, friends. Y'all, it was long, 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 long. And they started to see that through some of the victims that were um, alive, that he strangled them. Mm -hmm. And that was the one thing about all the other victims, the victim in Odessa, they had been strangled. And that was like his signature. And 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 when we say strangled, I think when I hear strangled, I think of like a rope. He was strangled. These victims were strangled with Sam Little's bare hands. Mm-hmm. And they talked about his hands in this documentary that you can watch on Tubi. Mm-hmm. Um, they talked about how massive his hands were. Like a guy, a, a guy said, it's almost like his hands were made to strangle. Like, like that's how that's how big they were. Yeah, and let's just talk for a second about. The amount of pressure you have to put on someone's neck to strangle them. Yeah. And although it it's a matter of minutes, it's not seconds like how you see in the movie. No, it takes minutes. And he was literally crushing their hyoid bone. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it was intimate. He was full of rage. It was, you know, passion, pa- crime of passion. But he had no connection to these women. So right. it was just, it was... It was very, very intense and honestly very disturbing. <laughs> very to disturbing. To say the least. To say the absolute least. So LA, they start to investigate Sam Little. They're trying to find out what is it about this guy? Can we pin him down? What we do know is that Sam Little was actually with a woman named Oriali. Oriali. And he was in a relationship with her, but really she was a lot older than him. She was like 10 plus years mm-hmm. older than him. And they traveled together. And the case that I'm referencing, um, he only had two surviving victims. But on this one particular case, um, the woman was a prostitute. She ended up surviving because the police heard about his car being in the area. And, and it they, was like and they knew okay. they knew of some shady dealings with this particular car. And understand that in this in this particular time, there was a high incidence. They, they felt like there was a serial killer out on the loose. They knew that, but they didn't have any details of who it was. Mm-hmm. And so they were, you know, trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. you know. And so they they heard, oh, his van is in the area. Mm-hmm. So they're like, OK, let's go check this out. Right. And so they go to the area where, and this is L.A., they go to the area where, um, you know, just people are sometimes dealing with prostitutes. They see a car and they see a man get out of the car. Zipping up his pants. Zipping up his pants. Looks shady. The police come, put their high beams on and ask him, what are you doing here? Right. He says, oh, I'm just, you know, me and my wife, we're just out here. We just got into a fight. We got into a fight. We just made up. 
So the police and the police looking at him like, Mm-mm. but you have blood on you, right? And scratches, like it, it was obvious that he had been in some kind of physical altercation. Yes. So they were like, no, we're arresting you, mm-hmm. and so they arrested him. They go to the back seat and they find Lori Barrios or Barrios is her name. She was in the back, naked, under like hiding underneath. The back seat. And the way that she was positioned, according <clears throat> to the investigator or the police that were, were on the scene, is that it looked as if she was was dead. Like, she mm-hmm. was not... It didn't... As a matter of fact, she was not conscious. They had to revive her. Mm-hmm. So, had she... Had the police not arrived in that moment and arrested mm-hmm. Sam, she probably would have died. Mm-hmm. So they arrest him, they Mirandize him, they take a DNA sample, she's alive, and they're able to go to trial. Because they're thinking, we're about to pin, like, finally, we're, we get, we're gonna get this guy, this is it, pin him down. 1984. And what happens is, is that Lori gets, I, is it the preliminary before the trial? Trial? Yeah, it's the preliminary hearing okay. where, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out. Well, no, this. I'm trying. I think it was the grand jury. Grand jury. It was the grand jury. Okay. It wasn't the preliminary hearing. It was a grand jury. So they're just trying to figure out, like, are we even going to indict him? Right. Right. She I'm sorry. Up. That just that sparked something in me. <laughs> she gets up, and it wasn't just her. It was her, and there was another surviving witness. Yes, as well that came. So they were able to bring these two surviving witnesses um, to the grand jury mm-hmm. to have them testify in front of the grand jury. Right. And one of them does an amazing job. I can't remember which witness that was. Mm-hmm. It was the one from out. I, I don't know if she was. She had she was, moved, but yeah, she was in the L.A. area at the yeah, time. It wasn't Lori. It mm-hmm. was, and she gets up there and they said she did an amazing job, knocked it out. I mean, you know, there's, and, and I, I, they didn't talk about the details of why she did an amazing mm-hmm. job. But like as an attorney, I know exactly what they're saying. Like, you know, confident, speaks well, mm-hmm. doesn't get rattled. Like, you know, the, the things you want your witness to do. Mm-hmm. And so then... They pull her to the side afterwards, and they're like, because they didn't know that she was engaging in prostitution mm-hmm. like as a side hustle. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't even want to say a side hustle. I don't know if it was a side hustle or it was something that she, she was doing yeah, yeah, on the she, side. Yeah. And they asked her that in the grand jury. Like, they asked her that when she was on the stand, and she mm-hmm. said no. But then afterwards, she tells them that, yes, I, I was. was. I was just embarrassed. Which is understandable, but it I mean, she was rattled for good reason, but it didn't help. Credibility shot. It didn't help. Credibility shot. And then the other witness, Lori, got on the stand, and she wasn't a good witness, right? She was not a good witness. And as a matter of fact, she was so bad because she actually drank before she came. And I get it. I do. I understand. Like, she probably mm-hmm. was, you know, traumatized. She was so scared. She had some drink before she got up on the stand. Mm-hmm. And so she was, and it wasn't like a, oh, you know, it was like, I'm a little tipsy. You no, know, it was your drink. Like to the point mm-hmm. where the, the attorney literally had to address it because it was like, I have to address this. Mm-hmm. It seems like you're not okay. Are you okay? Oh, I had mm-hmm. a couple. I had, I, and this is how you always know it. I had one drink before I came up here. One drink? One drink, ma'am. 
Okay. And and I mean, it's just too. I mean, we're not trying to shame her, no, but no, no, it didn't. No, no. It, it was one of the flaws. I totally understand why mm-hmm. she maybe even felt like she had to go get a drink before she got there because, you know, here you almost died. You know, just I mean, you're gonna have to face. You know, you feel like you may have to face your, um, you know, uh, um, accuser, right? Assailant. And, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and you have to face them. You're just nervous. Like I, I totally understand it. It just really sucks because this was 1986 Mm y'all like he killed for decades more and because these two witnesses they just weren't strong Mm -hmm. you know and that Mm -hmm. was really all they had they didn't have any dna evidence they had nothing else and so as a result right so his lawyer the defense attorney you know calls little to the stage and he said oh you know i was just dating this these women it went wrong and they attacked me. These prostitutes attacked me. You know how uh, socially we already have just a negative perception of prostitutes. The, this is the 80s. And so. this is the 80s. So, um, you know, he was like, and so I acted in self-defense. Yeah, I strangled them. I put my hands around their neck. Mm-hmm. But I was fighting for my life, for my like life. R. Kelly said he was. You know, fighting for my life. <laughs> so it was a nine to three acquittal. And so. Only three people had it right. Yeah, so he was charged with the lesser charge, which I don't know what that was, but he only ended up serving 30 months 30. in prison. And in February 1987, he gets out, and, and bodies start to reemerge. So, you know, his DNA was found on all three victims, but as we said, and I, I want to keep highlighting this because I think when we watch true crime a lot and we deal with cases that happened in the 80s, we are looking at it through the lens of 2023. That's not the case. Right. So although they were able to collect the DNA evidence in, in these rape kits, kits of the surviving victims, of the women who were found, um, and in some of the cases they couldn't collect it because the body was so decomposed, as we said earlier, um, but when they were able to collect these, this helped 20 years later. Yeah, no, absolutely. This 20 it's years like later. They couldn't get them then, but the little things that they were able to collect and mm-hmm. to gather, that paid off in the mm-hmm. end, for sure. Um, so as we, we mentioned to them that, Oh, we mentioned to them, y'all, we mentioned to y'all, that he was traveling with a woman named Orlia, Mm -hmm. and um, she actually was, she testified in that trial, too. Mm -hmm. She said, oh, you know, he was with me all that time. And they were traveling with another guy. Mm -hmm. You're right. Mm -hmm. That was part of the reason why he got got off, because she was like, we weren't even... I was with him. There wasn't a time I wasn't with him. Well, you weren't with him when he got arrested, ma'am. But, you know, she was up there and she lied on the stand. And she lied on the stand. And he, and I, you know, they really didn't go too much in depth because we don't know. We only know what Little says. But he said they had a relationship together. They traveled the world. But people traveled the world, traveled the United States. But um, people really believe he had this relationship with her because he was able to get money from her. Mm-hmm. It was like a codependent situation. Right. So we continue, and he continue, bodies start to emerge, but as I said, we do have that evidence. All right, so MD, so what happens next? So, you know, the investigator thought, this is my guy, right? She runs his DNA through the, the DNA. CODIS. CODIS. 
<laughs> and, and and sure enough, it comes back, ding, 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 ding. And luckily, Sam Little is actually already in prison because he was arrested at a Christian homeless uh, shelter okay. in 2012. Now, it's unclear what he was arrested for. I'm sure doing something else, pick, you know, shoplifting. I mean, he was a professional crimes. crime it was. It criminal. And this Christian homeless shelter that he was picked up at is actually a place that he frequented whenever kind of he... In between. Was like, in between his drifting. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm going to go to Louisville, Kentucky and just kind of crash here. Like, mm-hmm. it was... He was known to just kind of go there. And on September 5th, 2012, he was actually arrested for his final arrest. Final arrest. Thank people. God. He was finally arrested, taken off the streets. And then simultaneously... Well, not simultaneously. And then in 2013... Our investigator is like, I got my guy, and then she tries to track him down, and I don't even have to go look for him. He is, he is already He's in here. Louisville. I'll just go get him. And so, you know, they they actually tried him, and he was convicted of three L.A. murders. Okay, so he was convicted of Carol Alford, um, who he killed, or they discovered her body July thirteenth, nineteen eighty seven. Mm. Guadalupe Apodaca. And she was killed September 3rd, 1987. And Audrey Nelson. And she was killed August 14th, 1989. So once he was convicted, they extradited him. um, And he was, you know, well, not once he was convicted. Once they were ready to try him, they extradited him back to L.A. He was convicted of those three murders Mm -hmm. on January the 7th, 2013. Thank God. Thank God. Oh, okay. Goodness. So we got him. We got him in jail. We got. But he's we got. Not, and we and he's convicted. Mm-hmm. He and he's convicted. That's that's the big thing. Period. Like he's gone to jail, <laughs> but you know he's in there for thirty months or mm-hmm. you know two years or whatever. Mm-hmm. He actually is convicted, and we know he's going to be there for a while. Mm-hmm. But that's not the end of this story. No, it's not. Because he killed a whole lot more people. He did, and he maintained his innocence throughout the trial, throughout his conviction. He essentially said, I mean, and I quote, I was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Every time. Every time? Because you did it, sir. That's why you were at the wrong place. (laughs) I was always there. I don't know why I was always there. He was very, he had such a haughty spirit. Like, he was very puffed up. Mm -hmm. And he just felt like he did no wrong. Right. Um, and like, how dare you guys catch me when I'm 70 years old? The nerve of I'm not really killed all these people. <laughs> Goodness gracious. So listen, the Odessa case back in Texas is still unsolved. Right. We don't know who killed don't Denise. Know who killed so if you don't know, you're about to know that we have specialized, a specialized group of officers mm-hmm. or of law enforcement. Um, and in Texas, they are called the Texas Rangers. The Texas Rangers. And they show up whenever there's something that has happened that, you know, and the regular county police can't figure it out. They're like the FBI. Yeah, they're, they're like the FBI, but just for Texas. <laughs> just for Texas. I mean, yeah. You know we think we're Texas. <laughs> I mean, yes. Us and New Yorkers, I think we represent the hardest. Right. <laughs> Annex my state. That's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Okay, we can look carried away. But um, he decided, um, working with the investigator in L.A., he said, you know what? 
I think I can crack this case. He was known for getting criminals to confess because mm-hmm. just of the way the way that he was, like right. the the way he went into the interview. He didn't play the whole bad cop thing. He really tried to connect with the person for the sole purpose of solving the crime. So he actually goes in and visits um, Sam, and they get to talking. And he said, hey, you know, do you know about, were you ever in Texas? And he said, yeah, I mean, I was in Texas, but I was never in Odessa. So he just continues the dialogue, and eventually Sam lets up. He lets he lets the Texas Ranger in. Mm-hmm. And he ends up admitting not only did he commit the murder in Odessa, but he confessed to 93 murders. Yes. Of which... At least 50 are confirmed. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he does confess. They get Denise's Brody's family the answers they, they the needed. She, right. And they and and so many other women as well. So right. because of this Texas Ranger, we now know that he's the most prolific serial killer of our time. Because he's confessed right. to 93. And he was like had a photographic memory. Yes. He and he was an artist. And he was an artist. So he was able to draw most of these women. Like even if he, you know, from memory. From memory. And they used the drawings mm-hmm. to compare it to the Jane Doe files that they had in their database. <clears throat> so, you know, it's just it's it's so sad but the way they were, this has kind of circled back to he was the one who ended up kind of, I don't, okay, let me not say that. Let me take that back. He was able to give, the Texas Ranger was able to give these families answers. Because I think when you do have um, prostitutes, right. you know, um, their family may just think that they were on drugs. Right. And they led, which led to their ultimate demise. Right, many of these many of these women's families are not looking for them, or looking for a killer. Right, They're that's what thinking, I was trying to say. My my loved one just died. She was on drugs. Mm-hmm. She was out. You know, so a lot of these families were able to find out. Like, no, that's not how your loved one died, and mm-hmm. it sucks to like get that answer. But it also is 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 um, comforting in a way to know that okay, there's some resolve. That person's in jail. Right. So, yes. And before we end and go to our takeaway, I did want to say this fact since we kind of started with black people can't be serial killers. (laughs) Sadly, he is the most infamous serial killer Mm -hmm. out there. He killed one more person than the Green River killer, Gary Ridgway. 15 more than the psychopath Ted Bundy and, and 17 more than John Wayne Gacy. So a Same. black man is actually. Yeah. Can't say that no more. So if you're right. saying that, just stop. Just don't even don't do it, it anymore. I mean, we have to too. Like we can't say it anymore. Right. It's not true. We <laughs> have to dispel that myth. So on to the takeaway. To our takeaways. Yeah. What do you think, MD? So I think my biggest takeaway here is, you know, related to his childhood. Mm-hmm. I think it really is indicative of the type of women that he killed. While we can't confirm that his mother 
was a prostitute. Mm-hmm. We do know that he targeted prostitutes. He ended up stop living. He ended up no longer living with his mother and living with his grandmother. And I think it wouldn't be surprising that she was into prostitution or maybe even just living a very fast life, a okay. fast-paced life, right? And he took that out on women that reminded him, in of my opinion, mother. of his mother. Hmm. And um, that hatred. He, he, he hated his mom, and so he was able to transfer yeah transfer that energy basically to these women when he killed them yeah I mean that's that's my takeaway too I mean just because he was a demon literally yeah and I mean I don't use that term lightly I mean literally a demon Mm -hmm. um and it's just so unfortunate that um he had so many opportunities to be stopped. And that's why I feel like the police are comfortable saying he killed 93 and could be more because he got away with it. So, you know, what happens when you get away with something? You continue you the behavior because nothing's stopping Yeah, you. and you think, well, I, I mean... And I remember on uh, the, the documentary, was it John Wayne Gacy? Where when he got caught, he was like relieved, like, oh, yeah, and it's like, okay, let me tell you, yeah, like, let and me tell I tell you because yeah. I, I've been doing all this. Ooh. I just knew y'all were gonna catch me. Like y'all just never caught me, and so I just kept doing it right. again because something is wrong mentally. <laughs> right, you know, that's not normal. Mm-mm. You know, so uh, it is so. I think it's just a testament to all of those police officers and investigators. I mean, we. Obviously, you're gonna toot Texas Rangers horn a little bit, toot toot more. But seriously, it was it took a team and a collaborative effort. Oh yeah, the the investigator in in LA, you know the investigators you in, know, Odessa. In, in Odessa, in Ohio, in Kentucky. Like mm-hmm. it took a team of people, and it took years to pull together a collection of information that resulted in him ultimately, you know. Being caught. Being caught. And it's uh, and it's good. He's caught and he died in 2020. So, I mean, he's not even here with us anymore. Thank God. <laughs> you know? So, that is all. That is all. That's season three. Did it's you have rap. fun, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> we will see you guys in three weeks. We'll yes. give you a specific day as when we're coming back. But we will come back bigger, stronger, and ready for yes. more. True Crime Thursday. Yes. So if you enjoy Murder in the Black, we highly encourage you to share it with your friends. Go and leave us a rating on Spotify or whatever platform you listen to us on. And stay updated with us on Instagram, Facebook, all of the things, as my sister says. All the things. Yes. See you next week. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.